up, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. It is Saturday, October 8th, the day before the Browns meet the Chargers, and that means you're tuning into this episode of the OBR Film Breakdown to learn all you can about the Browns' upcoming opponent, which is a fun one, a team that they ran into last year on their trip from the East Coast to the West Coast in a really exciting game that the Browns ended up coming out on the short side of 47-42, and both teams run it back, ironically, the same week this year as last year, and uh, it's a Week 5 matchup. And both teams really need a win here, and it should be fascinating. I think it's a good team. I think it's an interesting team, and that's what I wanted to bring on the same guest we had last year, Michael Peterson. You can follow him at Zone Tracks on Twitter. Does a great job there. He's um, he's the producer over at Bolts from the Blue, which is a part of SB Nation. So you can check out all of his work and content there. Michael, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, man, glad to be here. Let's um, yeah, let's dig in real quick, like. Talk to us about how year two is going with Brandon Staley, uh, coaching staff wise, what it looks like, if there's been any changes since last year, just sort of curious how everything's looking from that perspective. Yeah, I'd say, you know, things are off to a little bit of a rocky start. I think after, you know, the year they had um, in 2021, expectations were tremendously high, uh, especially after the offseason moves uh, they made to get guys like Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. Um, this defense on paper looked like, you know, one of the best in the NFL. Uh, the Chargers in the AFC West looked like they were going to be a part of the best division in football, or at least the best division in football that, that we've seen for for quite some time. And it's not even just the Chargers, you know, starting out two and two, um, had a really tough loss against the Jaguars, not even so much the loss in general. It was just kind of like how they lost. And then you look at what the Broncos and how they looked like, especially last night on Thursday night football, uh, Raiders finally getting their, their first one of the season in week four. And then, you know, the chiefs kind of just being the chiefs. But uh, for the most part, you thought this division was going to be basically like all four teams just dominating uh, most of their games out of division. And then of course the divisional games are always kind of a, you know, a tough fight. So, you know, those could be split really any way. Um, but the Chargers two and two, they they have a loss to the Chiefs, which was a really close one um, at the end. You know, there was some some tough calls by refs and some interceptions from Patrick Mahomes that were, you know, negated. Um, and then the one interception that mattered was the one that really swung that game in the Chiefs favor. Uh, Jaguars was just a complete blowout. Um, it was the game after Justin Herbert. Uh, hurt his ribs, fractured rib cartilage. And uh, that game was kind of called a bit conservatively to start. Joe Lombardi, offensive coordinator for the Chargers, kind of admitted to that. Um, They just didn't know how Herbert was going to respond. And so that game started slow. And unfortunately, there was a a pair of turnovers, a fumble and an interception on back-to-back drives that really kind of buried the Chargers in that game. But they came back to beat the Texans, which arguably is one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're one of, uh, if not, I think the only team that has yet to have a victory this season. Um, So you can't really take you know, many silver linings from that. The Chargers are two and two, but their two wins are against the the one and three um, uh, Raiders and then, you know, a winless Texans team. So like how good is this Chargers team? I really don't know. And I don't know if we'd ever, if we're going to get the chance to see them at full power because obviously injuries to Joey Bosa, he's on IR, but probably out six to 10 weeks. Rashawn Slater, torn bicep, uh, you know, they're all pro left tackle a year ago. Don't know if he's going to come back this season. So overall, I'd say it is a shaky, shaky start. Um, in terms of the coaching staff, something you brought up, uh, in terms of differences, one of the main differences was Frank Smith, the offensive line coach last year, took the offensive coordinator job over with the Dolphins. And as you can see with the Dolphins, they've done a really good job of not only giving Tua more weapons to to play with, but uh, building an offense that he can succeed in. And so far, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill are, are two of the leading receivers in the NFL. Um, and the Chargers went ahead and replaced Frank Smith with Brandon Nugent, who was a former offensive line coach for the Saints. And I'll tell you what, offensive line play has been down. 
Uh, you know, Corey Lindsley has been fine. Matt Filer, left guard, has taken a huge step back. Um, just in terms of both as a run blocker and pass protector, he's let up almost as many pressures through the first month of the season than he did all of last season. Uh, Slater being gone is tough. Uh, you got a rookie right guard who is solid, um, playing well. And then you've got right tackle Trey Pipkins, who has taken a step forward. But just overall as a unit, man, this, this rushing attack has been anemic. Um, and that's been one of the biggest things that I think has kept this Chargers team from hitting their potential early on this year. Um, one other coaching difference that uh, I just recalled was Jay Rogers, who was their outside linebacker edge rushers coach last year, flipped to the defensive line. And then longtime Chargers uh, defensive line coach Giff Smith flipped to the outside linebackers. I don't think that switch has really done much of, uh, I guess, anything negative. If anything, you know, the edge rushers were looking pretty good until Joey Bosa went down. But those are kind of the biggest differences so far on the Chargers coaching staff, at least from last year until this year. Good stuff. Good stuff overall. I think there's a lot of um, there's just a lot of intrigue in it. I think mm-hmm. what some of the things Staley did uh, really well, and uh, I think what he was able to uh, sort of rejuvenate a lot of the atmosphere out there has brought a lot of intrigue. So, f- so filling in a lot of those holes and why they're sort of where they are and the changes mm-hmm. that are made, I think are always important to analyze. Talk about injury report because you gave some guys who are on IR, but. And those are big names. I mean, hugely important yes. names in mm-hmm. Slater and Bosa. But but this week's injury report, kind of looking at who might be in or out this week, you guys always have a better feel of your team. It looks like Ian Allen is teetering. I know he missed last week. Uh, is there anybody else? Kind of what's the sta- the status there? Because he's a game-changing type of player. So, so fill us in on his status and anybody else who might be sort of on the cusp. Yeah, I think it's a, we can be pretty sure that Keenan Allen will not play this week. Um, he looked like he was on track to play against the Texans. Um, but the first full practice that he was expected to go through before the Texans game, he unfortunately left early walking uh, off the field with a team trainer and then has not practiced since. Um, and then with this week, obviously not practicing Wednesday or Thursday, I think those are just two strong signs that they're continuing to be very cautious with Allen. They they don't want to bring him back and have him injure it again. And obviously he did kind of have a setback um, without even playing in a game. So I think if anything, Allen is, you know, we're going to have to wait another week to see him hit the field again. Uh, some guys, one guy that specifically popped up out of nowhere where he was a full participant, wasn't on the report on Wednesday, but was limited on Thursday's tight end Gerald Everett. Um, I think this just might be a little nick. Uh, I don't think it's anything serious. If it does turn into something serious, I think that is a pretty decent setback for the Chargers because Everett is the second leading receiver on this team behind Mike Williams. I think his report with, with Justin Herbert has been phenomenal earlier this season. I think, you know, in the first game against the Raiders, they had a nice touchdown connection on a back shoulder play that really showed that they were just on the same page. So that's phenomenal to see. And, and it's, he's definitely not a guy right now that you want off the field as the Chargers kind of continue to, to battle back from a rough start. Uh, kicker Dustin Hopkins, uh, Chargers have had terrible kicker luck, finally found a guy in Hopkins that seems consistent. Uh, he had a hamstring injury or excuse me, right quad injury. Now that I look at it, uh, apparently it wasn't, um, sustained during the game against the Texans. It was just something that he felt during practice. So the team's being cautious. They signed 29 year old Taylor Bertolet to, to back him up potentially, uh, never had an NFL start, but he's been around professional football leagues for, I think around six years now. Um, so they trust him to potentially kick for Hopkins. And then Josh Palmer, one of the team's top three wide receivers, I think he's probably wide receiver three on this team for sure. Uh, He has an ankle injury he sustained against the Texans, limited uh, Wednesday and Thursday. If he doesn't go, I think they they bring up uh, possibly Keelan Doss, who they just signed um, to kind of fill that role. They're very short on wide receivers. Michael Bandy played last week, looked really good. Jason Moore's kind of a similar type to Keelan Doss as well, tall, bigger, uh, not terribly fast, but more jump ball physical receivers. So we'll see kind of how that goes. But right now, those are the three 
three biggest injuries um, aside from Keenan Allen that I think you can keep an eye on. You know, I always look at these things and, you know, you follow your team and you have a pretty good feel for what, <laughs> which guys are in and out of your own team because mm-hmm. you, you pay attention so closely that, you know, you can look at an injury report and a guy's doubtful the day before the game and then all of a sudden they're playing. So good stuff, man. We're going to take a quick break. Word from our sponsors and then we will be right back. To talk about the offense. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250k in cash alone. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb your leaderboard for a shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props even those over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up with this promo code, which is very simply for the fans of this podcast, OBR. Use that promo code OBR at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store and get a first deposit match up to $25. So again, promo code OBR. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Again, that promo code, OBR, nohouseadvantage.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so next year of elevation, Justin Herbert, we all love him. I think he's one of the more universally loved quarterbacks around the NFL, makes a ton of great throws. He's got a lot of talent. We know that. How's he doing this year? I know the injury to the ribs sucks, but overall, I think he put together a nice game last week. Is he feeling better? I've not paid attention to what his quotes have been around it, so fill us in if you can there. Yeah, so I think despite, I mean, first off, it's impressive that right now he's leading the NFL in in passing yards, obviously heading into week five. Um, I think that's phenomenal after the injury he did sustain. It's not a, like a simple injury to, to, to deal with at all. It's a fractured rib cartilage. Now that's positive because it's not an actual rib. Um, but it's negative in the fact that they can't really do much to, to help him out or to heal it quicker. Um, it is an injury that he basically just needs like long and sustained rest and relaxation to make sure that it goes away completely. And that's just simply not happening during the season. So for the rest of the year, he'll unfortunately have that. I mean, it all come down to pain management. I'm sure he'll continually get injections, which, you know, is, is kind of a, a touchy subject with the chargers for recent history, um, sake. And, um, but for the most part, he looked a lot more like himself against the Texans than he did against the Jaguars. Uh, I think in the, in the first half for sure, you could tell not only was coordinator, uh, Joe Lombardi kind of playing it simple with him. You could tell Herbert was just kind of 
feeling out how his own body was reacting as he tried to play his normal style of football. Um, and against the Texans, he looked a lot better. He threw for 340 in that game, uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no turnovers, um, and definitely just looked a lot more like himself. He was throwing lasers. He was throwing balls that, you know, just looked like his normal stuff. So he, he's looking good this year. Um, I think he's fifth in touchdown passes with nine. He has just two interceptions on the year, one of them being, you know, off the hands of his, of his running back against the Jaguars game. So you could say, you know, he couldn't simply have, have won his uh, other interception was the pick six against the chiefs which was unfortunately just a mis miscommunication between him and, and gerald everett who a lot of us kind of know was gassed on that play the, the play before and the coaching staff wouldn't let him get out and it kind of turned into you know this really negative snowball that just kept rolling um but overall, Justin Herbert has been solid. He's the guy everyone thinks he is. And and kind of like you mentioned, it's really cool to see a quarterback be so universally loved by by just about everybody. So when he was hurt to see the outpour of, of you know, just like caution and emotion and, and worry about his status from everybody in the NFL, it, it was really something to see. It's unique, man. It's really unique to have a guy that it feels like the only people that don't really like Herbert are Miami fans because they just right. try to continue to justify uh, the decision that they made to pass on him. But yeah, he is mm -hmm. exceptionally talented. Now he's working with Eckler, continues to do that, right? Uh, fill us in about his weapons outside. I mean, we know Keenan's out. It seems like Mike Williams is leading the charge there. So uh, go ahead and fill us in. Running back, tight end, wide receiver skill uh, positions for us. Yeah, so the running game... I think I touched on it earlier has been really anemic. It has been almost non-existent. They are 32nd in the NFL with 64 and a half rushing yards per game. That's quite the contrast to the fact that they are leading the league in passing yards at 307.3 um, a game as well. So it's quite the di dichotomy. They're 12th in points per game. Uh, besides Austin Eckler, who finally looked like himself against the Texans, right? I mean, this was, uh, he only had 60 rushing yards, but it was a 4.6 yards per clip. Uh, he had 49 receiving yards on six catches. So, you know, 100 plus yards from scrimmage. Uh, he had three touchdowns, which is much more in line with what he was last year when he scored 20, which was tied for a league lead with uh, Jonathan Taylor. That was phenomenal to see. The running game, I guess, in a sense, got going. They they had 86, I think, on the day. Um, but when you add a little more context that the, the Texans up to that point were allowing over 200 yards on the ground per game to see the Chargers only amass, you know, 86 is kind of a tough thing to see but at the end of the day this is a pass first team they want to throw with Herbert they feel like the most success they can have per uh, week essentially is through Herbert's arm so it wasn't terribly uh, surprising behind him though you've got Sony Michelle and you've got Joshua Kelly now Josh Kelly is a, a third year player out of UCLA he's been the team's most efficient running back and when he's played in games he's allowed the running game to have a little bit of a spark but for whatever reason Joe Lombardi kind of goes away from him um, he helped spark their running game against the Texans before Austin Eckler found his groove. But for whatever reason, in the second half, they went away from him and played more of Sony Michelle. Michelle had, I think, three more snaps over Kelly in that entire game, 17 to 14. And Michelle's averaging, I want to say, 2.6 yards per game, or yeah, 2.6 uh, yards per uh, tote, excuse me. And I think that game specifically, he had 1.8 per carry. I mean, it's really bad for Michelle, but for whatever reason, they keep trying to fit this veteran into the game, especially in, in crucial moments like third downs and in the red zone. Uh, I just don't know why they keep going away from Austin Eckler, you know, their best playmaker. And even if they put in one of these other running backs, taking Eckler off the field never seems like a good thing. So I, I think one of the more questionable decisions by the offensive staff this year has been kind of their running back usage. So we're still kind of waiting for them to figure that whole thing out. Um, but at least with the Texans game, you saw Austin Eckler kind of get back to his old self. So that's phenomenal. As far as receivers go, we obviously know Mike Williams uh, is their big play guy, is their number one wide receiver right now. He's been 
most definitely up and down. Uh, big game against the Chiefs, big game against the Texans. But then you, in between those two big games, you know, week one, he had two catches for, I want to say, 10 yards. He didn't get his first catch until the fourth quarter of that game. Doesn't sound right for a guy you just gave thirty million or $20 million a year to. Uh, against the Jaguars, he had one catch for 15 yards. It did go for a touchdown, but it's still one catch for 15 yards. Uh, you know, score be dang, like t- those two other games combined for three catches and 25 yards. That's just not what you want from your wide receiver one. So a lot of the Chargers fans and everyone in general uh, would love to see Williams have a little bit more consistency. Josh Palmer obviously has an ankle injury, may not play this uh, this week, but he's been spectacular for a former third round pick that many kind of believed may have been a reach at that time. Uh, played in the, the Reese's Senior Bowl. There was a niche of, of draft Twitter, you know, that kind of liked Palmer. They thought he was a complete wide receiver. His best games actually came against the best competition in Alabama and Georgia, uh, which just kind of showed you that his game could potentially transfer really well to the NFL. Um, behind him, you have DeAndre Carter, mainly a special teams guy, but through the first few weeks has showed he can be a reliable wide receiver, and he has a decent connection with uh, Justin Herbert already. Um, tight end, we talked about Everett. He's on the injury report. More than likely, he will play. He's been a big part of this offense. Behind him, Donald Parham, the true six foot eight, you know, spectacle that he is. He hasn't played this year, um, hasn't played since that scary injury he sustained last year in the second game against the Chiefs late in the season. Uh, he had a hamstring injury that came up during training camp, and unfortunately, that somehow has kept him essentially sidelined up until now. It really looks like this is the week he will make his debut after they kind of pushed it off a week at a time. He's a big red zone threat. I think he's a big threat up the seams. I mean, you can't coach 6'8". Uh, I believe the Cleveland Browns linebackers aren't the tallest of bunches, so I'd like to think that if he does play, they will try to find some mismatches there. Um, and then behind him is second-year player Trey McKitty. Uh, he's fine. He was the third-round pick, the second of their two third-round picks in 2020, so he was picked after Josh Palmer. Uh, they liked him because they felt he was the the closest thing to a pro-ready tight end that was left in that draft class. Unfortunately, he's been mainly used as a blocker, and the few times he has been given a target, he has at least one really bad drop this year. And so far, really hasn't been anything uh, in terms of uh, contributor to the offense. So that's kind of the, the the screenshot of their their offensive weaponry. Losing Keenan Allen, you know, for some time uh, has been tough. Getting Donald Parham back this week might be uh, a really special and something to watch for. So how's the O-line holding up? I think there's enough skill there to win ball games, right? But the O-line is, is certainly going to be dictating a lot of things. And you're missing your best player. You already referenced that in Slater. But but otherwise, who's the starting group up there? Yeah, so the starting five um, should be the same starting five that they threw out there against the Texans, which is left tackle Jamari Sawyer. I mean, what a stud this guy was against the Texans, right? He was a guard, essentially, um, from the moment he was drafted up until this past week when uh, Rashawn went down and they decided we just can't keep trotting out Storm Norton anymore. And he went out there and he had a heck of a game. He had an elite PFF pass blocking grade over 90. Um, no pressures, no sacks, no nothing. Played a really good game against the veteran and Jerry Hughes. So overall, we're really happy with what he was able to do um, on the blind side and hopefully he can kind of continue that hot momentum uh, left guard is Matt Filer kind of touched on it earlier uh, he's a veteran last year he, I thought he was a very underrated signing in free agency big guard physical came from Pittsburgh um, the type of guy you kind of want to have on your offensive line this year man I, there's been no word about him playing through injuries or anything weird like that but he just hasn't looked like himself. You turn on the film and he just doesn't look prepared. He doesn't look physically capable to keep up with certain defenders against the Texans. There was a screenplay to Eckler that had three guys in front of him. And essentially they had two defenders to stop or to get through, you know, their three linemen. 
And in front of them was 20 plus yards of green grass. I mean, it was absolutely insane. And Filer went out there and just looked like he, he, he ended up in quicksand right before the defender, um, you know, and him met. So it was just a really tough look. He hasn't looked nearly as good this year. Um, hopefully, you know, he's, he has time to bounce back. It still is early in the season. Center is obviously Corey Lindsley, um, former All-Pro, big-time free agent a couple years ago. Uh, he is as good as advertised. He's as good as he's ever been. Um, so no worries there. Right guard, Zion Johnson, first-round pick at a, a Boston College. 6'3", 315, he's super rocked up. I mean, this is a, he's got a physique on him that you don't see often in, in offensive guards for sure. Um, but he's been steady. He's been solid. Him and Trey Pipkins now, the right tackle, they've really found some chemistry together. It, you wouldn't have believed it. Any Chargers fan would have told you otherwise that there's no way Trey Pipkins was going to turn into a serviceable, if not even decently good um, offensive tackle in the NFL, you know, as soon as a, or as recent as a couple months ago. Pipkins has been phenomenal. He's been working with Duke Manyweather, who's obviously a big O-line guru and coach um, who coaches Rashawn Slater and a lot of other NFL players like Lane Johnson and Teron Armstead. He's been phenomenal. All that hard work seems to be paying off. So that right side and Johnson and Pipkins is probably going to be one of the sides to watch in this game just because of how well they have been playing lately together. Great stuff overall, Michael, on the offense, man. You guys have a great feel for where they're at uh, collectively, uh, talent down the roster, all of that. We're going to take one more quick break, talk about the defense, some key matchups, and then wrap this one up. So we will be right back. Okay, give me a feel for the defense. Do they prefer base? Do they prefer man, um, zone? Like, I like to know kind of like general scheme structure they use, um, coverage stuff they like, if you if you know that off the top of your head, and then sort of uh, are they a heavy nickel team, stuff like that. So fill us in on the defense philosophy if you know it, Michael. Yeah, so this team is a, is a base 3-4. Um, I don't think they play a whole lot of it. And, and in fact, I, I do know they like to play more of an, a nickel package where they, they keep their edge rushers, Khalil and whoever else is opposite. And then they like their two new guys they signed in free agency, Austin Johnson and, and Sebastian Joseph Day to kind of hold down the middle. They don't spend a lot of time in base because I just don't think they like the depth there along the interior. Behind those front two guys, you've got Jerry Tillery and Morgan Fox. Both of them are essentially... Uh, pass rushing defensive tackles they really only want to be played on on specific third down situations and then they've got rookie uh, Otito Ogbonia who is more of a true uh, run stopping defensive tackle and knows um, but him being a rookie they don't really want to throw him out there all that often so in terms of just playing a, a completely you know generic four or three four base um, it doesn't happen all that often uh, they're usually playing with two middle linebackers most of the time which is Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil uh, Kenneth Murray has been fine in his third year. He he has struggled quite a bit through the first two seasons. Last year specifically, mostly with injuries, and that didn't help his case because as a rookie, he you know he had 106 tackles. It was, it's it's the Chargers' rookie record for um, a defender. Um, in franchise history, but at the same time, you know, a lot of missed tackles, a lot of blown assignments. Uh, he's been rough when he gets attached to offensive linemen. He really can't shed blocks, but so far this season, he's playing faster. He's playing more physical. I think it just t- took him some time to kind of go from the big 12 and uh, defending those types of offenses to dealing with NFL offenses. Drew Tranquil has been good, has been solid. Ronaldo Hill, defensive coordinator, said recently that he's playing lights out. Um, he has an interception on the season and has just kind of had much more of a feel for the defense. They're making their their calls and checks much more um, at a rapid pace, which just helps the defense get into position a lot faster. Behind them, you've got veteran Kyle Van Noy. Now, Van Noy kind of splits between, since Bosa's injury, he actually sees time at edge probably a little bit more than he does at off-ball linebacker. Um, him and Chris Rumpf, uh, 
who is a second year player out of Duke, put on some weight between his rookie and second year. Um, looks a lot better. He's a very slippery type guy. I'm not going to say he holds up against the run all that well. I still think he needs to add mass there. Uh, but those two kind of split opposite edge of Khalil Mack so far this season. And then Troy Reader, he's a former Ram, obviously played with Brandon Staley in 2020 when that, when that unit had the number one defense in the NFL. So it's a guy who has experience playing winning ball. Um, he's been fine, but doesn't see all that many snaps so far this season. Uh, and in terms of the secondary, Derwin James, we all kind of know who he is. He's a do-it-all guy. He calls the defense. He wears the green dot. Not something you normally see from a safety in the NFL, but that's just the type of player Derwin is for this defense. He, he is everywhere. He's on the back end. He's in the slot. He's rushing the passer um, just about everywhere you can probably find Derwin. Free safety, Nasir Adderley uh, plays on the back end with him. He's been fine, does have an interception, caught the first one against the Texans. Uh, he's been tough in terms of angles lately. In Gus Bradley's cover three defense, when he played single high most of the time, he really struggled with being the last line of defense. I mean, when, when Gus Bradley runs that defense, that free safety needs to be able to take down the ball carrier if they do break into the third level. Um, that's why guys like Earl Thomas succeeded in that, in that defense, you know, however many years ago. Nasir, unfortunately, Looks like he's kind of taken a step back on his tackling and his pursuit angles. Uh, he allowed that Damian Pierce 75-yard touchdown again. Took a really bad angle. Was nowhere near him to, to make that tackle when he broke out. Uh, so we, they could probably use some support there. JT Woods, their third-round pick, was a free safety out of Baylor. Uh, led the country in interceptions his final year in college. But has been such a liability at tackler that he um, during the preseason that he hasn't touched the field at all on defense this year. And he's been inactive for most of the season. So they're looking kind of rough on the back end, unfortunately. Uh, in terms of cornerbacks right now, J.C. Jackson, big-time free agent signing, has missed half the season, um, hasn't played two straight games yet, missed week one, played week two, missed three, played four. Uh, both games he has played, he's looked rough. He's allowed some big catches, including that touchdown against the Chiefs uh, to Justin Watson, has graded really poorly by Pro Football Focus. I don't think that's who J.C. Jackson is this year. I think he's just had a rough start. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. We know he's a talented player. They don't call him Mr. INT for, for no reason at all. Um, so hopefully he can kind of find his way back. Other than him at cornerback, you've got Mike Davis and Asante Samuel Jr. He's their other two uh, starters in nickel. Um, and then, of course, you got Bryce Callahan, who is their starting slot corner, who has two interceptions on the year as well. I think that guy is probably one of their bigger, most underrated uh, free agency signings this past season. Um, he's been absolutely phenomenal. He, he uh, completely negated Hunter Renfro in week one, was very good in the slot again in week two. Um, this past week against the Texans as well. Not many slot yards coming there um, either. So that's kind of the secondary. That's kind of the defense as a whole. It's it's a very talented defense, but as you can probably see by numbers, um, it's kind of underwhelming. And unfortunately, uh, they, they're not going to be as good as they are on paper unless those brand names, those star players, kind of start picking up the slack and, and being who they were supposed to be when they were handed that big check to come to Los Angeles. It is a fascinating thing because this is what Staley, you know, is his calling card. He has to get the defense right. Now, the injuries haven't helped, and uh, mm -hmm. there's certainly some very logical understanding of why some things haven't gone perfectly, but they need to uh, eventually solve that group to the talent level that, you know, you're pointing at, Michael, and I think they will. Uh, I think he's got a sharp mind for it, so uh, certainly worth tracking how they handle Cleveland, who runs the football as well as they run the football. It'll be um It'll be must-watch TV, if we're being honest. So mm -hmm. um, talk to me real quick before we head out. Two things, your matchups on each side of the ball that are most fascinating to you. We'll start with Chargers on defense, Browns on offense. Where are you focusing? Yeah, I don't know how you don't look at 
uh, defensive front, you know, against the offensive line. I think that's uh, what I pointed at in, in one of my preview pieces as well. The The Browns offensive line is phenomenal. Their, their uh, run blocking grades for the most part, I think, are all above 65, except for Jedrick Wills, who's just like a tad under 60. Um, but Nick Chubbs, most of his yards come outside the tackles, or at least he's been very efficient outside the tackles. I think he scored three times. Um, 31 out of his 81 runs out there have gone for, I think at least five yards, something like that. I could be butchering these stats, but all I know is that Nick Chubb is phenomenal outside the tackle. So, um, you kind of look at, uh, the replacement edge rushers. I don't think they're going to be running to Khalil Mack all that often, unless they absolutely have to, they're going to probably going to be, uh, targeting Chris Rump for Kyle Van Noy on the other side, who just simply aren't true edge rushers, but, um, they're going to need to, to stack up in, in that, uh, that particular area. They, they got to set the edge. Um, and then our secondary has to tackle a lot better. Like I mentioned this year, Adeline, some of these corners, um, have been whiffing a little bit too much. Sante Samuel jr. Has been phenomenal. Um, this year as a tackler coming from the second level, third level. Um, but this is going to be a whole different beast, man. I, I, you know, you put on the film of Nick Chubb and I think someone said that he doesn't run, he glides. And I have to agree with that. That man just knows how to adjust his body, move in space and make sure that no matter what, when he's making contact, he's falling forward. Um, no matter what the defender wants to do. So, uh, it's going to be really tough, but I'd say guys like um, Khalil Mack and those edge rushers and then those cornerbacks on the outside better be come prepared to to play a physical game or else it's going to be a long, long contest on Sunday. Yeah, the Browns do challenge you physically, and I think that's what mm-hmm. they'll they'll continue to try to do, especially with a team uh, with as much skill talent here is to try to force Herbert's hand. I think that's the only real chance they mm-hmm. have here is to try to force his hand. So flipping over to the other side, what are you keying in on on that side where the Chargers have the rock? Yeah, I think it's it's tough not to look at Mike Williams and, and Denzel Ward, and I'm not entirely sure on this, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume Denzel probably shadows uh, quite a bit just because of how talented he is and his his physical capabilities and just how far and away he is the, the cornerback one on that team. Um, and so we know how speedy Denzel is. He is a long, lengthy corner. Um, so, of course, that is going to be a tough battle for Williams, who... I thought last year looked much more like a complete wide receiver. He was running a much more broad or uh, a route tree. It wasn't just go balls. Um, uh, I thought they were running him more on RPOs and quick slants and some hitches and curls and stuff. And he was doing a really good job of, of sticking his foot in the ground and, and getting extra yards after the catch. Um, so we'll see, you know, if, if history says anything, this is a game where Mike Williams does not have a good game, right? He was down and up, down and up. And, and this game would, you know, it sounds like it should be a down game for him, but I don't think they're going to the, find success against the Browns or even have a chance to win this game. If he doesn't have uh, one of his bigger games, because Josh Palmer is beaten up. Uh, you've got Deandre Carter and, and Gerald Everett as your other, you know, top pass catchers. If Palmer doesn't go, the run game is almost non-existent. Like I touched on. Uh, I really does feel like this game is going to come down to if Mike Williams can help this team move the chains. And honestly, if he can't, I think it's going to be a lot harder on Herbert to to keep this offense going. Certainly a lot to pay attention to at the secondary because the Browns were leaky in that loss in uh, L.A. last year and busted a couple coverages that led to direct touchdowns. Deep shot to uh, actually, I believe Mike Williams was one of the recipients of a deep shot where they busted a coverage. And uh, I believe. Um, the para might've been actually the other one now that I think about it. But, um, anyway, that will be the focal point for, for, for certainly how can they scheme up the Browns in this one? Can they, can they find open holes? Cause they have had issues in many games this year where they just have allowed uh, easy reads for quarterbacks. And now this is the first elite quarterback they will have played. So that makes it a unique challenge in and of itself, if they can prevent some of that stuff. So 
that is, uh, again, where my eyes will go uh, throughout this game uh, as well. So wrapping it up, I'll give you a chance, Michael. What are your thoughts? How are you feeling about it? And do you have a prediction? You cannot have a prediction. You could say, hell, I don't know where it's going, <laughs> but I'd just like to get your general feeling about playing Cleveland in this one. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to lie. I am a bit nervous. Um, I remember how well Nick Chubb ran the ball a year ago, and I can't help but feel like it's going to happen again. Um, the Chargers have looked too much like the old Chargers, the pre-Brandon Staley Chargers, a little bit too much this season, um, which is why people have had you know slight notions of like, hey, is Brandon Staley's seat kind of getting warm already? Like, you know, and it's not even halfway through year two, but the Chargers have just looked too much like the team that Brandon Staley was hired to to basically change them from, to point them in the right direction and take them to a whole other place, a whole better place. Um, so I am nervous uh, if that defense can't show up, you know, they, they paid out the wazoo to, to bring in guys to help stop the run. And if there was any test in the world as to whether or not you were justified in paying out these new defenders, um, all that money, this is that game. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, two big run-stopping defensive tackles in the middle of that defense have to come to play. Khalil's obviously going to be Khalil. I'm not too worried about him, but that that edge-rushing spot opposite, man, it, it could be a seriously uh, weak link in the chain um, that the Browns can seriously exploit. So I, I'm nervous. I think if Herbert and his weapons are healthy enough, like if everybody is there, Sands, Keenan Allen, I think they can keep up uh, uh, offensively and maybe turn this into a little bit of a track meet, just both teams kind of doing it, one through the air, one through the ground. Um, I think it's going to be close. Um, if I had to give a final score and I'm, I'm trying to learn because I, I, I always, of course, try to, to, to justify a chargers win. I do think this team is good. I just think after what happened against the Jaguars, that, uh, expectations and, and stuff like that needed to be recalibrated. So I'm going to try not to be super homerish here. I think the Browns actually take this one. Um, I thought I, I kind of guessed the last four games, Texans, Browns, and the two next ones before their bye. I thought they'd probably go two and two. And I think the Browns is going to be one of those games just because of Nick Chubb and what he can do on the ground. So I'm going to go Browns win. And I'm going to say the score is 27 24. And I'll feel good about that. Good stuff, Michael. Listen, again, follow him at Zone Tracks. You heard it here. He's picking the Browns. Add Zone Tracks on Twitter. Follow him, man. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate your time and uh, always appreciate the insights you can give us uh, on the opponent. Thanks, man. Of course, man. Happy to be here. Okay, guys, that's a wrap for today's episode. Continue to check out the content from earlier in the week. We had John Colosimo on yesterday to talk about around the AFC North like we do. Great stuff up at the OBR. Put something up on JOK. I think you could go there and check that out. Take a time to read it. I think it's well worth your time for you members and subscribers to the OBR. We'll be back tomorrow with our game day episode with Brad Ward. Check that out. Otherwise, have a great Saturday, guys. Continue to be safe, be well, and go Browns.